us pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, to come to come together tonight and to uh, study your word and to look into another one of your appointed times, Lord. Pray that you would uh, be with each one of us, Lord, as we listen to things that we think maybe are familiar. And we may there be some things that we that uh, we thought were familiar, Lord, but that we could learn uh, something new about tonight. So we pray that you would uh, speak through Chaim tonight, Lord, that we would each learn and we would... Uh, would strengthen and grow our walk with you. I pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 Uh, cup. Cup. Not, not cool. I'll let you fix it then. Oh, it's good. It's right. It's cut. It's cut. It's cut. It's cut. Right? Yeah. Okay, folks. Um, we're going to try and cover. In one hour, by the grace of God, what by all all rights should be covered in about three or four. Three or four years. Three or four years. Three or four years, yes. So, Yom Kippurim, uh, the Day of Atonement. Uh, what those of you who are good readers, you'll see in your notes. Basically, the approach I'd like to take tonight is first of all, look at what the Torah describes about Yom Kippurim. Uh, secondly, um, take some time to understand rabbinic tradition. Uh, then talk about atonement with with the uh, New Covenant or New Testament perspective, and then talk some about um, how we celebrate or how we observe uh, Yom Kippur. It's really not so much celebrate, but uh, first of all, um, I want to talk about where this word came from, Kippur, and I'm going to throw a bunch of Hebrew up here from time to time, if, if it's too much, just say, stop! Uh, okay, it comes, this comes from uh, a Hebrew verb, kafar. How many, how many are taking Hebrew here? All right, so I can put up the Hebrew. Now, uh, you might have heard that this means to cover. And the basic idea was that people sin, God, God gets angry, and he has provided the uh, sacrificial system, the animals, and uh, basically uh, the sacrifices were designed to provide a covering so that we would not experience God's anger uh, until such time as Messiah would come, and then we would have genuine atonement. There's one basic problem with that theory. Uh, it's not scriptural. Uh, there's one place in all of scripture that uses this word to mean cover, and it really has nothing to do with atonement. Uh, this word appears in reference to uh, Noah building an ark and putting pitch on it, that basic 
uh, basic word. Um, but again, it has to do with pitch, not with atonement. Uh, there's one place in uh, Psalm 32 that speaks about uh, blessed is man whose sins are forgiven, um, whose iniquities covered, and so on and so forth. A totally different word. Um, so why am I harping on it? Well, simply because the folks that talk about atonement as covering um, are not willing to give credit to the fact that in the Torah there was genuine atonement. And, and yes, it was uh, partial. We don't have the entire package um, until we come to Yeshua's time when we have a much fuller, and, and I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about atonement from a uh, New Covenant or New Testament perspective, but um, we have to, to simply say that God provided the sacrificial system for Israel as a means to restore broken relationship between him and the people. And it wasn't just one of these pretend type things that we'll do it uh, for now, but it's really not happening. You kind of have to do make-believe until Messiah comes. That's kind of the theory that I've heard, and uh, frankly, it makes me want to gag. Because atonement basically means a bunch of things. Uh, but it basically involves the fact that when you and I sin, that there is a break between our relationship with God. Okay, that's the essence. Um, so I guess what I can do is talk about uh, atonement as something that is multifaceted, like a multifaceted diamond. Lana. God provided, God provided um, animal skins for them. However, that really uh, is not atonement. Okay, so atonement, you, you can look at it, and my, pardon my drawing, uh, I, I uh, let's see, someone who can draw a diamond, this, you're going to have to use great deal of imagination. <laughs> That's a diamond, okay? Uh, looks like a bunch of teeth. Just just use your imagination, okay? Uh, so this is atonement. Atonement. And it has um, a bunch of components to it. And I want to park here because atonement is one of the least understood truths of the Word of God. And because of that, our relationship with God, instead of being multidimensional, it's like two-dimensional. It's very, very flat. So if we understand atonement for what it really is, then our, I believe our relationship with God will grow and expand. 
All right, first of all, uh, atonement has to deal with the fact that there is a break between us and God, so there needs to be a restoration or reconciliation. Reconciliation um, between us and God. Um, because when we sin, there is a legal aspect of atonement. In other words, we break God's law. Okay? Uh, you're going 65 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone. You break the law, there are consequences. You're guilty. And so uh, atonement has to deal with the guilt uh, so that the guilt has to be removed. Um, atonement also has to deal with the fact that there is brokenness because uh, God's law is designed to give us wholeness, shalom, and balance. By the way, shalom, remember, means a bunch of things. Uh, peace, wholeness, completion, those are the main aspects of the word shalom. And so when we sin, we break God's law, we experience the consequences of our sin. You know, just like uh, if you're a parent and your child does something stupid, they experience the consequences of their actions. So um, there has to be healing personally in the individual uh, we don't see this so much in the, in the Tanakh, uh, in the Torah. We certainly see that in the New Testament, and that is uh, there is darkness or uh, spiritual um, forces of darkness, satanic. And basically what Scripture tells us is that when we sin, we give a part of ourselves over to somebody else. So we have the silly notion that we can do what we want to do, and we have the freedoms, supposedly, but the truth is, in reality, um, there are two powers that govern this universe. There's God and there's Satan, although we're not talking equal here. Uh, so if we choose not to follow the Lord, then we put ourselves under the, the dominion or the control of the powers of darkness. And so that's something else that atonement has to cover. And um, also here, um, reconciliation of a different sort uh, between people um, what, what happens is that there is a rupture, not just between God and us, but be between us and other people. And I can go on and on and on. Um, oh, of course. Um, forgiveness. And that's what we see primarily in the Torah, is that a person sinned and God demanded that they would bring a sacrifice, and it was a, a one-for-one uh, kind of proposition. You sin, you 
commit one sin, one act of breaking God's command, and he provides you with the opportunity to bring one sacrifice to cover for that sin. Okay? Um, I, uh, I don't imagine you, you can see all that clearly, but if you've been following, you know what I'm saying. Um, so, what would happen typically, and, and can I erase this? Uh, what would happen with a number of the sacrifices is that uh, particularly what is called the sin offering, although a better term for that is the offering of purification. Okay, for your Hebrew folks, it's chatat. So, uh, and, and there were a couple of other offerings that had to do with, with sin, but this was the primary one. So the way this was laid out in the Torah, a person would come to the tabernacle or to the temple. They woke up to the fact that they did something stupid. Uh, they sinned against God. They, they broke one of the laws in the Torah. They brought an animal. They laid their hand on the head of the animal. They confessed the sin uh, before the priest who represented God. And the animal was killed. And so what you had there is the principle of life for life. The animal died so that the person would be spared because according to the basic principle uh, in the Torah, if a person sins, they're worthy of death. I mean, I'm kind of painting an extreme picture here. Uh, so that was the essential offering, uh, and it's covered in, in Leviticus uh, chapter 4. But the short version is, when a person did that, they were pronounced as forgiven. If they brought the animal in rep with a repentant heart and by faith saying, God, you provided this, this method of uh, forgiveness and cleansing, and so I'm doing that just like you said, by faith. If they did that, they were forgiven by God. Yes, ma'am. Um, this life for life principle, would you, would it, it's not, is it that it is not a case of my sins are transferred to that other one? Yes. It, it is, is that. It, it is that case, yes. Yeah, that's why, that's why there was a confession of sin and the laying on of hands on the animal uh, that symbolically, spiritually, uh, the sin of, of the, the person was transmitted to, uh, to the animal. The animal died. Now, obviously, as you can imagine, if you lived near the Lebanese border and you committed a nasty sin, one nasty sin, you'd have to, to travel two or three days to come down to Jerusalem to bring an animal sacrifice. And on the way there, uh, you were nasty to your wife, which meant that you just committed another sin. So that kind of made it really impossible for you to keep absolute accounts with God, which is why you have King David, for instance, saying, Lord, 
um, you know me, you know me inside and out, and so on and so forth. In other words, depending on God's mercy. So yes, there was forgiveness, and yes, there was cleansing uh, under the animal sacrifices, but it was limited. Yeah. Correct, correct. If you if you look at Leviticus chapter four, you'll see that principle spelled out. When so and so uh, broke God's commandment, they realized they woke up to it, and they needed to bring a chatat or sin sin purification offering to God. And uh, as they did that by faith, uh, they would be forgiven. So that's the basic premise for for the Day of Atonement, because the, the basic um, the basic sacrifice took place on Yom Kippur when the temple was standing was the sin offering. There were others, but that was the basic principle. Now, um, I want to show you a picture of what the tabernacle looks like. How many have seen a schematic of what the tabernacle looks like? Okay, so this is not news to you. So I won't uh, spend forever on it. Um, but basically, uh, the brazen altar, which is where the animals were sacrificed, was right here at, at the basic entrance of, of the tabernacle. This was the courtyard here. Um, and here was the tent that was divided into two portions. This was the holy place where you had the menorah. Um, you had the um, table with the bread on it. Uh, and by the way, showbread just means the bread of the presence. And then there was the altar of incense. And then here, there was this curtain. And on the other side uh, was the Ark of the Covenant. And above it, was what the King James calls the mercy seat. However, the Hebrew term kapora just means a lid, a lid of atonement. Okay? So, um, the sin offerings were brought on a regular basis here. Um, and they're described in, in chapter 4, chapter 5, etc., in Leviticus. Uh, but here, the, the, the Day of Atonement was different. So let's take some time to read chapter 16. We're not going to read the entire chapter. It gets, it, gets a little, um, it gets a little intense. So if you're squeamish, uh, you might turn uh, shades of purple on me here. So there's no, uh, there's no stealing over the holy plates and there is, there definitely is a ceiling. It's a tent. Okay, it looks like a. Like well, it's, it's it. This is a, Jim. This is a cutaway. So it's giving you, it's giving you a, a, uh, uh, a slice. Okay. But but yeah, if you see, there is. Oh, I see. Yeah. What is that? Like a tornado there? Or is that a pillar of fire or something? That, that tornado is the presence of God, sir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those of us who have lived 
uh, in the Midwest, in Oklahoma, etc., know about tornadoes, but no, this is not a tornado. So, chapter 16 of Leviticus, verse 1. All right? Uh, let's see, who do we pick on? Rachel, my dear. Your favorite. You're doing well. Well enough to read? Um, how much? Uh, the entire book, not just one verse. Okay. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. And say... traditional Judaism in just a bit. So what we're doing is laying out what what the Torah says, and, and then we'll get to that. Yeah. So, um, and then verse 2. Would you read verse 2? Huh? So if you go back and read uh, chapter 10 of Leviticus, you'll know what happened. Um, there are theories about what happened in, in, uh, uh, to the two sons of Aaron, Nadav and Avihu, and Rabbi David talked about it once, I think. Um, we're not quite sure other than it says that they brought strange fire, Esh uh, Zarah, and, and that the word has to do with something that is not God-like. That, that is, if God is here, then Zara has something to do, uh, something else. Uh, there, the two basic theories are that um, the two sons of Aaron came drunk into the uh, Holy of Holies. And a fire came out and zapped them. Uh, reason we say that, or possibly, is because part of the instruction afterwards uh, to Aaron is make sure that whoever comes uh, to the Holy of Holies doesn't drink. In other words, you, you get a, 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 a bunch of wine or beer or whatever, and then you come into the Holy of Holies uh, it's not that the Lord is anti-alcohol, but but you have a higher higher expectation when you come into the holiest place. 
That's one theory. The other, probably more likely, um, is that the two sons of Aaron be bopped into God's presence uh, when they were not supposed to. And one of the things you find that is spelled out in the Torah and the rest of the scripture is that God is an orderly God. He has a plan and a purpose. And we being the fools that we are, we like to think that we know better and we want to do things when we want to do them, how we want to do them. And, and the Lord's response is no. It's my way or the highway. Uh, quite possible, quite possible that the two sons of Aaron came at a time and in a manner that they had no business. So the book of Hebrews um, in, in chapter 10 uh, speaks about, the, it describes God as a consuming fire and that's what it's referring to. That a fire came out. Now this is scary stuff. But I, I want to make sure that we um, quickly um, make uh, uh, understand the fact that the severity of God judging these two guys is extremely unusual because most of the time God's preferred method is to be very merciful. In fact, he bends over backwards to be merciful to people and he only uh, judges severely under very unusual circumstances. So, uh, in fact, if you remember when Moses said to God, God, show, show me your greatness, God said, no, I'll show, you my, uh, I'll show you my goodness. Moses said, show me your glory. Uh, and the Lord put him behind the rock, remember? Mm -hmm. And he zapped in front of him. What did he say? I'm, I'm absolutely mean. You don't mess with me. You mess with me, you die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At the end. At the end. But... <laughs> What did he say at the beginning? Which being interpreted from the Hebrew means? He said, compassion and mercy, God, compassion and mercy, great mercy. Right. In other words, what, what God was saying to Moses is, this is how I want people to know me. This is who I am. I'm merciful, I'm compassion, I, I bend over backwards to to be kind to people and put up with their shenanigans. So when you see something like what happened to the sons of Aaron, you know that it's extremely unusual. Um, and that the other principle that has to be related to that is um, as you go from the outside of the tabernacle in towards the Holy of Holy, it becomes more holy, more sacred. The presence of God is stronger as you go from here to here, meaning also that God demands a greater degree of preparation on the part of those who enter. So that uh, by the time you come to the Holy of Holies, it has to be something that is extra special for the person who goes inside to the Holy of Holies. Okay, so uh, here in Leviticus 16, the Lord doesn't say, I'm sick to death of, of, of you guys coming to my presence. 
and I'm not interested in you guys ever coming again. No, what he's saying is, I want you to come, but here is how you need to come. It's my house, and yes, I want you around, but here's what I, what I expect. So there, um, and I'm not gonna go through all of, all of the basic steps uh, in detail. Uh, I would encourage you to read chapter 16 but there, there are basic steps, and, and I want to go over those steps uh, generally. First of all, uh, Aaron, Aaron had to prepare himself. Uh, then the tabernacle, had to be cleansed. And then the people had to be cleansed. Okay, so um, again, realize that that from our perspective, all this is is blood and gore, and we have a hard time with it because when we want meat, we go to King Supers or Safeway, and we go to the meat counter and we get what we want, and and it's nicely packaged and laid out. Well. If you're a farmer, totally different picture. You know, you raise the animal, you kill the animal, uh, you cut it up, etc., etc. So Leviticus is written for people who are more like the farmers today than like we are, the consumers. So it gets a little intense because it, it talks about uh, killing and, and blood and etc., etc. So first of all, the high priest before he can go into the Holy of Holies, he had to make sure that he himself was prepared. Okay? Uh, he had to, to wash himself. He had to put on new clothes. And by the way, when you study the clothes of Aaron, you'll see that on Yom Kippur, he didn't have the full regalia, you know, all the elaborate stuff with, with the... Uh, Worm and Tumim and, and, and the, the gemstones and the gold and so on and so forth. He had a plain white uh, linen shift. Um, so he had to put new clothes on and he had to have atonement for himself and his household. Uh, a bull that he needed to kill and then he would take uh, and uh, he would take the, the, uh, the bull and so there are a couple of things that the priest would do for himself. Uh, first of all, he would take a censer. You all know what a censer is? Okay, a censer is something that has coals in it. It's like a, a, little, a little container that has coals, right? Yes? Okay. Um, and he he would he took the the censer and he put some uh, incense on it, and it it rose up and created like a, a cloud, and he took that and went behind the curtain into the holy of holies. Why? Hmm? Speak up! I can't hear you. No, 
Some say concealed. Yes, concealed. So that he would not be looking full bore at the presence of God. Because the presence of God was so awesome and spectacular. Um, uh, scripture describes the presence of God like a whole bunch of diamonds. It, it was so brilliant, it, it, it would put your eyes out. You, you couldn't stare at it. Like, like looking at the sun. So he, he brought the censer with a cloud of incense to protect himself uh, as he went into the Holy of Holies. Uh, and then he took some of the blood, the bull's blood, and, and he sprinkled it on, on the, um, the atonement cover of the mercy seat and also before it. So the point of all of that was that Aaron knew that he had to prepare himself before he went into the Holy of Holies. So what that means in terms of for us to understand it in our language, what that means is that for any of us who serve God, we better know that when we come to serve God, we are prepared and equipped and clean uh, and no, none of us is perfect, and yes, we all have junk. However, we need to understand this basic principle that for us who want to serve God, there's a, there's a, a price to be paid. And the price simply means that we are committed to uh, have God clean us so that we come and we're holy to serve Him. Yes, ma'am. So the bit of blood was spread on the cover is really saying uh, my sins, whatever they may be, have been transferred to the bull that has now been reflected. Is that the imagery? Is that bit of blood on the thing? Basically. But, but what that's saying, what it's basically saying is, God, you said that for me to come into the Holy of Holies, I need to do that. I've done that. So I can, I can carry out uh, my responsibility. Um... And, and, you know, a lot of folks look at this stuff and they, they go, oh, oh forget this, uh, blood and so on. The, the point is we end up missing the basic principle that because God is a holy God, for us to serve him, we need to be people who are committed to be holy people. Not perfect, but committed to be holy people. So, uh, so that was the bull. And then there was a, a, a goat, a couple of goats. Uh, this, the first goat, called goat number one, uh, that was also a, uh, a sin offering, and the animal was killed. Also uh, brought, um, here, I'll, I'll use the picture again. Uh, the blood was taken and uh, sprinkled before the, the mercy seat here, it also sprinkled here, and it also was sprinkled here and put on the on the horns. You see, uh, the the altar had like horn a horn on each corner. So in other words, uh, the most holy place, the holy of holies, the, the holy place, and the outer court, all of them had to have 
blood sprinkled. And you say, wow, what's up with that? Look at the end of chapter 16, and let's read uh, verses um, 29 to 34. And Russell, do you have the good book here? Chapter 16 and verse 29 to 34. Go ahead. Both the citizen and the foreigner living with you. Okay. For on this day, atonement will be made for you to purify you. You will be clean before Adonai from all your sins. It is a Shabbat of complete rest for you, and you are to, not, you are to deny yourselves. This is a permanent regulation. Okay, the Kohen anointed consecrated to be Kohen in the Father's place will make the atonement. He will put on the linen garments, the holy garments. He will make atonement for the especially holy place. He will make atonement for the tent of meeting and the altar. And he will make atonement for the Kohanim and for all the people of the community. This is a permanent regulation for you to make atonement for the people of Israel because of all their sins once a year. Moshe did as Adonai had ordered. Okay. Would you also go up to, uh, back up to verse 16? He will make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins, and he is to do the same for the tent of meeting, and he is to do the same for, and which is there with them right in the middle of their uncleanness. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, what it simply means is that throughout the year, because the people of Israel came to the tabernacle, they came to seek God, they came to bring their sacrifices, they also brought their junk. So spiritually, in the mind of God, his house was polluted, defiled by the sins and rebellion, etc., of the nation of Israel. So each year, uh, the, this goat, uh, the sin offering, was specifically geared to see to it that symbolically, spiritually, God's house was scrubbed clean of the rebellion and sin and junk of, of the people of Israel. Now, again, it's kind of hard for us to get our arms around, but remember that God is morally pure, He hates sin, and our coming in contact with Him means that we bring our defilement. So Yom Kippur, 
one of, one of two main purposes for Yom Kippur was for God's house to get clean. Now it's a different kind of cleaning. It's not like you know taking a broom and so on, but it's cleaning of God's house. Secondly, it at at the end of the verses that Russ uh, read talked about atonement and forgiveness for the sins of for all the sins of the nation of Israel. And you say, wow, how is it possible? Since we already talked about how that the moment you step foot out of the tabernacle, you already had a funky thought in your mind, you already sinned. So what, what that means is that the nation as a whole received cleansing for the entire year. The nation as a whole was permitted to come into and celebrate in God's presence. Now, that's corporately. Then individually, each and every person was responsible for his or her sin. So Yom Kippur was not about individual sin as traditional Judaism talks about today. But in, in the Torah, that's what it was about. God's house had to be clean and the nation as a whole had to have atonement, uh, had to be cleaned so that the nation as a whole would be able to come to God. So uh, that's kind of Yom Kippur in, in the Torah. Well, what, what you do when the temple is destroyed in the year 70, you have a basic problem. What do you do? All, uh, you can't bring any sacrifices since you don't have a temple. And so the rabbis really, really, really agonized over this. And they came up with several ideas that have some merit. I say some. What they said was a number of things. First of all, the sacrificial system was uh, given by God with expectation that the people would grow in maturity and would recognize that what God was really after was not the animals, but what God was looking for was the heart. Uh, they quoted a number of places in, in the prophets where God is saying, I'm not interested in your sacrifices, I'm interested in your heart. So because of that, traditional Judaism has come up with uh, three basic pillars to the notion of atonement. Um, repentance, Repentance, prayers, and good deeds. That basically, according to traditional Judaism, according to the rabbis, is what takes place of the animal sacrifices. Uh, well, there's a basic problem with that. God was always looking for repentance. God was always looking for people to pray. God was always looking for good deeds even when the sacrificial system was in place. And furthermore, there's a basic principle that, um, and, and I, I will probably run over five minutes. Rabbi David, do I have your permission and your blessing? I won't pour forth, I promise. Leviticus 17.11. Sorry about that, I put you on the spot. Leviticus 17, 11. 
Ariel, you look like you want to read it, sir. I could, sure. I'm just thinking, I just might go to the next public house and read now. You're very perceptive. 17, you will see that God is saying a couple of things. One, um, I've given you food, I've given you vegetables, I've given you meat, you're welcome to eat it, but don't touch the blood. The blood is off limits. So, uh, why? Because what is, what is blood? Blood is the essence of life. You take blood from somebody, they die. And so God is saying, blood is the essence of life, and that is the medium, that, that's the way that I have chosen for there to be atonement. There has to be life for life, like we talked about before. So, the rabbis are correct in that God is looking for these things, but it still doesn't deny the fact that when we sin, we need atonement and according to God's standard that has to involve blood so traditional Judaism uh, what traditional Judaism does today is you have the 10 days of awe uh, Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur and during that time you fix things between yourself and a person you have offended huh? part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the process. Uh, the rabbis teach that if you have a broken relationship with someone, um, you want to do everything you can to see to it that the relationship is restored. And that's right on the money. Um, but on Yom Kippur itself, you focus on your relationship with God. And that's why you pray and you fast and so on. Um, the, the, issue, the issue here is that at the end of the day, a Jew walks away from the synagogue not really having absolute assurance that they, in fact, have atonement. And furthermore, uh, atonement really doesn't have to do with sin, per se, it has to do with the fact that God opens one book, the book of life. God opens another book, the book of death. And you have the 10 days to, to pound on God's door and say, God, whatever I've done wrong, please forgive me, etc., etc. And so that you would write my name in, in the book of life, not forever and ever, but for the coming year. So, uh, again... Uh, 
that really that doesn't jive much with what the Torah says, uh, because God uh, and the Bible talks about the, the book of life, uh, but the book of life in general, not just from year to year. So again, there are some positive things here. Uh, the rabbis emphasize the need for um, uh, proper relationship with people and seeking God. And this is where we in the Messianic community are in partial agreement. So for us, Yom Kippur, uh, and yes, we always encourage people to make things right where they have broken relationship because that's what the Word of God says to us. And... On Yom Kippur, we pray and we fast, not because we seek atonement for ourselves, but because we want to pray for those who don't yet have atonement. Lana. So in tradition, what happened to the sin? There's no animals, so what happened to the sin? You, uh, you, you do these things and you expect that God will forgive you. You assume that God will forgive you. Yeah, but it still should be an animal. Well, they have Yeshua, they don't. So what happened to the sin? And th this is interesting, that even though the rabbis say today we do not hold to animal sacrifices, yet what they say is that when Messiah will come, that the temple will be rebuilt and animal sacrifices will be restored once again. Yeah, but but for this. Yeah, but but for this season, these things, the things of the heart, are the things that God cares about, and you do them, and you hope that God will forgive you. So we're kind of going back. Huh? Going back and forth between the two, like, because you're saying there's animal sacrifices, then it's this, and then it's back to animal sacrifices. Well, th what they say, and, and there's some truth to that, that you don't have a temple, you can't have animal sacrifices. Uh, what we say is they're right and wrong at the same time. We, uh, that Yeshua, according to, to what we see in Scripture, that, that the Messiah would be the one who would come and suffer and die for the sins of his people. Um, so yeah, we agree with these things insofar as they go, but we say there has to be a lot more than that. Because, among other things, the New Covenant talks about atonement that is much, 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 much fuller. Remember the, my, my, my attempt at, at a uh, multifaceted diamond? Um, what, we, what we see in the New Covenant is awesome because we see not only forgiveness for one sin, but we see God providing uh, a way to deal with the sin in general, the, the sin, our inclination to sin, what Judaism called Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination. Uh, and we have the power from the Spirit of God to be able to live life according to God's will. And so atonement for us is much fuller than that. And it's not a matter of, well, I hope I'll get the atonement. But we have the assurance, the, the conviction. It's a, it's a fact that we can take to the bank that we know we have, we have forgiveness. So um, 
Sure. When the bill was rented, the resurrection, was that, did that put an end to the Temple sacrifice, or did they keep doing it until 37 years later? It, it continued. It continued. Um, in the year seven, yeah. same people uh, who look at fellow believers. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to say there's some truth to that. Because um, the fact that a large percentage of the body of Messiah ignores or belittles the Torah mm -hmm. means that there's not enough emphasis on the holiness of God. And if you study the Torah, you understand that God is awesome and that you don't take him for granted and you don't minimize who he is. Otherwise, you have people who are going, well, you know, once saved, always saved. You know, God has a hold of me. I can do whatever, etc." cetera. Um, and so studying the Torah, studying these principles means that we understand how serious God is about the issue of sin. Uh, that just like he provided the animal sacrifices, he, he provided Yeshua for us. Um, and because of that, atonement for us means a whole lot more than the fact that, that we needed to be forgiven. Um, we need to be restored to a right relationship with God. We needed to be restored to a right relationship with others. We need to be healed of the mess that sin creates. Um, we need to be legally in a good place before God because we broke God's laws. Uh, we need to have the power to overcome the powers of darkness because every time we sin, we give permission to the powers of darkness to come in and do all kinds of stuff. Um, so Yom Kippur for us is it's somber if you haven't been to Yeshua Tzion, it's somber we have a lot of liturgy but it's also joyful because we know we know that that God has provided atonement for us that is full uh, it speaks to us about the love of God the mercy of God and and the power of God so any questions before yeah Lana Punishing me as my great grandfather ever did. How come? 
Um, you but ask. I'm still, I'm still carrying this baggage, regardless if I am accepted by God, completely forgiven. I still have this baggage, and I cannot eliminate that. Yes, you can. And I'll tell you. Uh, remember, we talked about uh, we talked about atonement being a package that included healing. Okay, and, and I want to finish with Hebrews 7. Uh, bef be before we go to Hebrews 7, um, understanding scripture means that you take one verse here and you compare it with other verses. Okay? So, what does God mean when he says that I'm visiting the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation? Does it mean that if, if you sin... Uh, your children are are stuck in in the mess that you created, and they have no hope. No, it doesn't say that. Ezekiel chapter eighteen says that a God holds every single person responsible. He holds you responsible. Uh, he 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 holds your kids responsible. All of us, and and that he punishes he punishes those who sin. So what that means, Lana, is that the influence, our influence, the parents' influence comes to us, uh, it's natural. The sin, the sin that, that we commit is transmitted, it's like secondhand smoke, okay? But Hebrews 7.25, and I want you to read it, please. of this that I understand, parts of it I don't understand, all right? So somehow in the presence of the Father, uh, the, the, uh, the videos of, of Chaim's junk is played out and it's disgusting, but Yeshua says, look, I died, I died for this bozo. <laughs> uh, so that's what it means to intercede. You know, to, to kind of put himself between between where my sin is and the punishment. Therefore, he is able to do what, Lana? Um, the next. No, the, the, that same verse that you read. Okay, so Yeshua is always doing what? Intercession. In, always interceding. Because of that, he is able to save to the uttermost 
or another expression, one moment, por favor. Another, another word for that is fully and completely. So what that means, Lana, is the stuff that we each have, the Lord is able to go deep and fix and heal, and that's atonement. And that's true of you, it's true of your kids. So even though there's the influence from our, our parents, uh, the influence from the world, all of that, uh, because Yeshua is engaged in, in interceding for us, he's able to bring about redemption. So what that means is that there's no sin other than rejection of Yeshua. There's no sin that is too big for him. Hermano, we'll finish oh, So there are all kinds of opportunities for evil to come in for all of us. Uh, we get it from here, we get it from here, we get it from here, but we're not paranoid and, and obsessed and tied up with knots because of the evil, because we know that whatever is there, God can handle it. Right. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I can. I'm just making faces. Go ahead. Is not I brought it up on the healing. If the truth is a sin is done here and let's say divorce or, or something, you know, whatever. Right? And the people are naturally affected by it. I mean and then it causes things in them right. which they have to deal with. And if they don't deal with it, it goes on to the next generation. So right. that's kind of that we make their consequences, the mess that our parents make their consequences. Uh, we can't dance around it, we can't run away from it, but there is redemption. So, Rabbi David, you look like you're ready to finish for us, please. Lord, uh, just thank you for this opportunity again tonight to learn this. And I know this particular point at the end here is a very much a, a hot button topic for people and instigator of all kinds of questions and thoughts and concerns, Lord, but we do thank you that at the end of the day, we do know that you never leave us, you never forsake us, your hand is not too short to save, and that your desire is not to uh, not to punish, but you don't take joy in that. And so I pray that that would take hold for each person here tonight, Lord, that they would realize that your, that your desire is not that, uh, that anyone should perish. We thank you that each person in this room has that saving knowledge of you, Lord. I pray that if they don't, that they Safety tonight, Lord, that we remember what we heard and we take root in our souls and our hearts and our minds. Pray these things in Yeshua's name.